gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 64 for the review segment for Friday, March 27th, 2015. Still, as always, the year of our time lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, it's just me and Patches right now uh, to talk about a movie that I guess not a lot of people in the world will wind up seeing anyway. So no, is which perfect. is kind of amazing considering. Yeah, uh, so this is a movie called Serena that stars some people you might have heard of named uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper. And it is, uh, it's kind of a modern mystery of distribution that I think we'll look back on and it will say a lot about the collapse of the star system and theatrical distribution. And I mean, we can get into all that if we want to. Uh, but it's an adaptation of a novel by an author named Ron Rash, who is uh, of the Carolinas, uh, who writes a lot of novels set in the um, North Carolina mountains where Serena is set. It was picked up a couple years ago. This movie went into, I think it finished production probably about two years ago. Um, and is only now being released, which is uh, one, you know, you can choose to take that as an indicator of its quality. It's directed by Suzanne Beer, who, in just another weird twist in the story, her last film, In a Better World, won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. She's a great filmmaker. There's yeah, absolutely no doubt in my mind. I mean, I even when we talk about this movie and the ups and downs and maybe a few of the downs, she is an excellent filmmaker, and I will anticipate her next movie, having seen Serena. I mean, After the Wedding, uh, her film she made in 2006, I think is one of the best films of the new millennium, period. Wow. It's so fucking I've never good. seen it. Mads Mikkelsen. It is spectacular. And she comes from the dogma style of filmmaking, and she she is a, a, a tour de force. She should be making the, the Hunger Game films, frankly. Back when they I were mean, looking for catching fire people... To like, like make that film, I'm like Suzanne Beer. Time than making a Hunger Games movie. She but. could make a great Hunger Games film, though. I'm just saying. Well, she there is there are lots of things that she could be doing, but if she wanted to break into the mainstream, she certainly could. She has the vision to do big and small storytelling. I'd say. Well, but if this was her attempt to break into the mainstream, I uh, I don't think this was at her attempt to do that at all. So you don't think so? Even working with two giant movie stars? No, I, I mean, mean they were not as big a movie stars at the time they made it as they are now. But I believe things we lost in the fire would have been the oh, uh, breaking true. into American film, and then not this, this film is certainly not bigger in in scale, or you know, this is not a Hollywood film. By any means. No, it well, an and, and it looks like it could be. You know, you can see a poster mocked up for this that would look like a Hollywood film, but kind of very early on, it's evident that this is not a Hollywood film. And something that I thought was really interesting about her taking this film on uh, as a female director and as someone who kind of does character stuff really well is the character of Serena, as written in this book, is completely fascinating. It's like you can kind of describe her as Lady Macbeth, but that really only gets into part of it. She's a. Uh, so she's played by Jennifer Lawrence in the film. She marries a man named George Pemberton, who is the boss of a uh, of a lumber company based in the North Carolina mountains. And this is in the 1920s, and it's right before they established the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, which is a a really wonderful thing. It's this in, you know incredible uh, early 20th century example. I, I guess it's set in the 30s because like the Works Pro- Progress Administration. So excuse me, um, but yeah, this park exists now, and this is kind of just before it existed. And uh, it's they're fighting against the park and cl- the parking and taking over their land. So she marries this man, George Pemberton, and it's kind of very clear from the beginning that she is a strong woman. She lost her entire family in a house fire and kind of 
Things we lost in a fire. Uh, My parents, uh, (laughs) my brothers and sisters, everything I owned. Yeah, everything except her. Um, So she kind of shows up with her own rules and wants to, like, participate in the business of the lumber camp. She's got an eagle who uh, perches (laughs) on her arm and helps catch snakes, which is pretty badass. Um, And Bradley Cooper plays Pemberton, who's her husband, who – and I'm going to get a little confused with the book because I – read that and I remember it more vividly but in the book he's kind of this weakling in a lot of ways and he's uh he was having an affair with this young woman who's from the area and she has had his child but he's kind of too ashamed or terrified to own up to it so he's kind of secretly pining after this kid and uh letting his wife make a lot of the rules which winds up uh causing some unintended disastrous consequences um the thing that bothered me I, so I had a hard time getting the book out of my head because I liked reading the book and I found it really evocative. And the thing that bothered me about this, and I'm curious how it bothered you from what from not having read it, like neither of these characters felt that distinct at all. Like it felt like there was a plot that was kind of just happening in the background and involved a lot of business things that were tough to figure out. And Toby Jones is there as like the guy yelling at them half the time. Um, but not a lot happens in this. And there's not enough atmosphere or character work to kind of make up for it to make you feel like you're really experiencing anything. Um, did you feel that way, not having a book story in your head? Yeah, I mean, it's very peculiar. Um, I guess I've been thinking a lot about Mad Men lately and also mm-hmm. the films of David Lynch. Um, and for some reason, not having as much plot and just having all this weird imagery may have worked in this movie's favor a little more than other people who have been slamming it. Um, Would you call it? I mean, I wouldn't say there's a lot of weird, like I, if David Lynch had directed this movie, I'd be way more interested. Well, I guess what I'm saying is like, there's a lot of crazy faces and crazy acting <laughs> and beautiful, beautiful photography. This, this yes. is a beautiful movie. I mean, yes. it doesn't matter if the script is flimsy or it's been chopped a bitch, <laughs> Chopped to bitch, uh, chopped to Jesus, bits, as it soggy. seems. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it, this. I think the problem here is that there seems to be a three-hour cut of Serena somewhere yeah. in the world, and we got the two-hour cut. And there are characters growing and thriving and being challenged and complicated throughout this movie. Unfortunately, they get off to no start whatsoever. The beginning of this movie is Bradley Cooper running this timber operation um and then i he goes to new york he goes to yeah he goes to a big city and gets jennifer lawrence they just automatically fall in love and within five minutes running around on horses yeah the first they meet on horseback but then they're in a city and then they come back by train and they're married and i'm just like what the hell i have been watching this movie (laughs) and without blinking something that i have no idea how it happened happened and that happens a lot in this movie a lot of kind of jumping to the next scene and you're like oh so we're okay we're here now sure right like assume the things that would happen in other movies have happened in this movie and just pretend like that that's built into these characters or it's it's been flowing evenly throughout the plot no i can't do that i, I need <laughs> it to be in the freaking movie um so that's the, i think that's the rocky part for these two characters um hearing you mention that pemberton bradley cooper's character is kind of a, a weakling or scaredy cat in some ways um i guess i see that in the movie but not it's not really distinguished it's not really evolving from anything in the beginning uh he's kind of heroic in the beginning they have a um well what happens to there's two guys under the like 
the car being used to transport the the timber. Yeah, his legs are. It's it's a very uh, Les Misérables Jean Valjean moment for Bradley <laughs> Cooper because he's trapped under a cart and there's a speeding train coming for this guy and Bradley Cooper stops the train and he acts very heroic in that moment. Yeah, not, not weak at all. Um, but then clearly when when Serena enters his picture, he wants this relationship to work. He wants them to be partners, as he says in this timber operation. And and she is able to stomp all over him and stomp all over everyone to the point where, I mean, this becomes a melodrama, pure melodrama, mm-hmm. where, where there's murder and romance and all sorts of crazy broad ideas being flown around. And um, that does work for me a little bit. When I, when I relate it to Lynch or I relate it to Mad Men, I'm talking about successful melodrama and just the kind of thrill of seeing these actors be kind of weirdos and, and big broad acting in the in the old-fashioned sense. This is definitely a throwback picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not coherent. It's really, it, it struggles to tether all these moments together. And it's unfortunate because it seems like there's a great idea behind it. And Beer has such a control over the direction, the camera, the cinematography, the, the well, actually, I will retract that statement. One of my big problems with this movie About is that there's part? there's a lot of beauty in it, um, a lot of you know mm-hmm. these these picturesque landscapes, but also this kind of old fashioned Hollywood lighting in certain scenes. And then there are other scenes where she just takes the camera and does her Dogma ninety five thing, and it's like really spastic handheld camera work. I really have never seen anything quite that ab- abrupt and sloppy. It just comes off really sloppy in a way that a lot of handheld camera work doesn't these days because so many people employ it. Um, it. It almost feels like, you know, in these big blockbuster like Star Trek or Man of Steel and you hmm. see them CG um, push in on people like that snap uh-huh. zoom. Uh-huh. It almost looks like they're snap zooming in on Jennifer Lawrence at certain points of this movie. There, there's a scene where she gets off the train. Actually, I think it's the first time Bradley Cooper and her get off the train. There's these handheld camera moves and it just like snaps in. It's It feels warped. It's very bizarre. It's a, a strange sensation. Um, and it's it's it feels very sloppy and it's surprising because there's other moments in this film that are so elegant. Um, I mean, the scenery is really incredible. Yeah, and the set they've built. I mean, a lot of the film takes place in this one kind of timber lodge that Bradley Cooper runs, or this this outpost. And um, it's beautiful. I mean, and the interiors, the way they've they've decorated everything. It's just stunning. Um, And the costumes, too. Yeah, Uh, it doesn't look cheap. Good God, so much much Jennifer Lawrence side boob in this yeah, in this and movie, a, a beautiful finger waves in her hair. <laughs> it's almost worth the money. Uh, I mean, the thing about the beauty, though, and uh, and the heightened acting and the melodrama you're talking about is like it's not just melodrama, but it's really macabre. Like, there's murder and there's scheming to murder, and there's a lot of like willingly killing people in order to get what you want. But I don't feel like the movie owns up to enough of that. Like, it kind of does that, and then it veers back into sentimentality, and you kind of like. Sometimes you feel like Serena is this ruthless calculator and sometimes you feel like she's just in love with her husband and just wants to have their child. And it kind of – part of it's the editing and but a part of it to me feels like the filmmaking isn't committing enough to the hugeness of the story that it is able to tell. It's like it kind of does in parts and then someone chickened out in the editing room and went for the take in which it felt a little bit more muted. Well, I think that's the problem with if there is a lot of footage on the cutting room floor – we don't have this swinging pendulum 
feeling throughout the whole thing. You think of like Billy Wilder movies and where you could be laughing at Sunset Boulevard and then horrified by Sunset Boulevard. Um, and, and that's how I wanted to feel more of, of Jennifer Lawrence in this movie, who I, I have to be honest, I'm not the biggest J-Law. Is that what we call her? J-Law? Yeah, that's her, that's her name. Her, her given name. <laughs> J-Law. Fan, or, or and I'm especially not a Bradley Cooper fan, and I do I don't care for him in this movie too much either. But Jennifer Lawrence, I'm I'm, I'm digging, and I wanted more of this kind of pendulum swing where you can be horrified by her, her like insistence that people should be murdered for like doing wrong to their relationship to their. But for love. doing like not really like like not she's willing to murder a lot of people who don't deserve it. Well, I mean the one guy wants to send Bradley Cooper to jail and it's not exactly the most morally righteous move on that guy's part. So maybe if they're going to protect their family, he has to be murdered. I'm not ju- I'm not attempting to justify that. But Patches the, believes in murder. <laughs> I believe in murder. <laughs> there are moments, I mean, her whole house, her whole life was burned down to the ground and she found, she's clinging to Bradley Cooper and this whole relationship that he has with this other woman and the child who stares at her from across this town every single day is driving her absolutely nuts. And there's some really horrifying things that happen to them throughout this movie that you can see it pushing her over the edge and you almost understand this psychosis really that she's like understanding. You understand though? Like, I feel like you want to, that's, that that's child the thing. Driving her nuts and like, you do want to understand it, but like. It's not really there in what you're being shown. How is it not? And I kind of feel like she might be. I kind of think she's miscast in this. I do too. Like her strength as a star is kind of this easygoing naturalness, which I like that she brings to the Hunger Games. But she doesn't like that calculatingness. Just doesn't come across for me in this. I don't know. I feel like she could get there. She just maybe leans too much on the persona that we know, or it's a little too casual. There aren't really the highs and the lows that you want. Maybe this movie doesn't go far enough into melodrama for its own good. Like it should be a little crazier. It should be a little more theatrical, but it does have those moments. It does have these like, you know, there's a moment where she's trying to give birth and she has to get rushed to the hospital. And it, 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 Serena nears the Nick level, like (laughs) grossness and, and sterile surroundings and this kind of frightening frame from above where Bradley Cooper is giving her a blood transfusion or between the two of them, and it's almost like it's almost like a frame out of Hannibal or something. Yeah. It's a very frightening, weird image, um, and that seems very operatic to me in a good way for this. I mean, yes. and then cut back to the Smoky Mountains. You know, go beer continues to go to that image throughout the whole thing. This amazing vista and all this this the smokiness running through the hills or in some cases i guess it's snow covered hills i don't know how they shot this movie they i guess shot it's all it in, real uh, in romania i think or- uh, it just looks stunning but um yeah i don't know maybe it doesn't is it too real for its own good i think it's yeah i mean i th- i think about all the very you know you see a movie where someone's trying to be david lynch and go crazy but they don't have the conviction or the imagination to really go for it and that's what i think the, the problem serena has like it gets in that place where you kind of think it's going to go somewhere a little strange and then it really leans back on kind of traditional predictable melodrama like i think especially the way the plot turns out in the end like it just feels so rushed and hectic and kind of going for an emotion that didn't feel like it was there it just feel like it loses its courage so many times that you can't buy into it like melodrama really relies on you buying into the world that it's creating and serena isn't able to do that it's also that there's a whole world surrounding them that you'd never really get to know like i don't i would be interested to hear your thoughts about the book and 
the character that Reese Iphens plays. Yeah, Galloway, I was about who's this kind Reece of like? Eifens. He's he's a he's a second banana to Pemberton in this. He watches all the people cut down trees. And um, some bad things happened to him. Oh, my God. There are multiple times at Sarita where I yelped out loud, I, I must say. Yeah. Maybe because I just wasn't expecting it to be that crazy again, to, like, have a splash of violence or to have these crazy images. But something bad things happened to Reese He plays this kind of mountain man whose mother is a psychic and predicted that he that his life would be saved by this woman and that he would have to pledge himself to her in servitude and that is exactly what he it's does it's like so that, weird and it it's is in such the movie a, it's, it's so movie. weird and it's there but i mean again like i don't think them i think he sells it i think he's really good in this he's just in a different movie than everybody else well i had to rewind three times just to be able <laughs> to be like what are you saying you had a dream like this is not established anywhere yeah, in the movie know, he keeps staring at her which made like, me think believes, that oh she, he got her pregnant but no there's something no. even weirder about yeah, their he's a character who honest to god believes in magic and the and in the book especially like you're not told that he's wrong. Like, he, his <laughs> mother might have the power to be, she might be a sorceress. And that's what's kind of wonderful about it. It's kind of like this hillbilly noir where, like, really crazy things are possible because who are you to say that his mother can't send curses on people? And so he does that, and he's, like, such a weird character. But again, the movie kind of eventually turns him into this just, like, superhuman henchman and he, there's a fight scene with him and Bradley Cooper that is completely invented from the book that just feels so like oh okay so I guess that's how the story has to end right. like, there has to the, be a conclusion that thrills yeah. yeah I kind of I wanted them to like lean into like magic in the mountains than it, it really was willing you, to see you want the Lynch movie too yeah of we course both that's want at the beginning the weird supernatural aspect to this movie that it doesn't actually possess even or even the, like the Lars von Trier melancholia movie where like very strange things can happen. Well, I mean, that's what's so to. interesting because beer can do that severe tragedy, yeah. like going back to uh, after the wedding. I mean, that is just a heartbreaking, heartbreaking film. And in a better world is fairly tragic as yeah. well. It's very sad. And it's a mellow and, and in a better world is a melodrama that works really well. Yeah, and 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 so is Brothers, her the original Brothers that she also directed. And I mean, she can do these really intense, sad uh character pieces without without making them uh, not I mean they are melodrama, but they're they're not cartoons, you know? They're yeah. not Sundance movies. <laughs> Dis. Um <laughs> David's not even here. I know. I'll I'll take that one for him. But um but here I don't know. It does feel like something in the editing room went wrong. And and yeah. I think and maybe that's my perception of the movie based on the the chronicle of this this horror story about getting this movie out in front of people. Like we didn't think this movie would ever come out. And, and it's and, a movie starring literally the stars of the two biggest movies of 2014. Right, right, right. Well, I think it was supposed to come out in 2012 and everyone was like, Oh, it's an Oscar contender already. You know, the Oscar bloggers. Were, yeah. Like it's they Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Silver, Lawrence. They, they had just done silver linings playbook. Like the timing could not have been better. Right. And they, and then, and then it just disappeared. I, I don't even know. I think, you know, through the grapevine, it was this movie is getting all fucked up and and Suzanne Beer did a bad job, which I don't think so. Like, I think there's a lot of solid material here. I think the problem might be a little in casting. Like, maybe Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence were forced to get into this movie together or like one 
you know, wrangled the other and demanded that they star in this together. They don't really have chemistry. And in Silver Linings Playbook, it's okay because they're weirdos on different ends of a spectrum and they come together and that's, you know, at the end, it all makes sense somehow. And you don't have to, like, live with and them as a, a relationship. And they're not in a period piece, which I think makes a big difference in this. Well, okay, so Bradley Cooper has the most horrific accent ever in a movie. Is yeah, it Southern? Like a, is it no, British? I think it's, I think it's Boston. Like, I think the characters, right. like, no one is known as from the South of, of those two. Well, so he kind of has Southern draw, but yeah, he talks like a Boston guy. and then, But then he also kind of sounds like, you know, these Jimmy Stewart old-fashioned actor accent, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, which would make sense. Like, uh, pick one of those three and I would buy it, but do all three in one role and it it throws me off. Like, each yeah. scene looks like it was shot two years apart from the last one. Very <laughs> strange. Jennifer Lawrence seems to have her, you know, accent or whatever she's doing down. But, yeah, there's there's nothing anchoring us to any of these characters. And it's... Yeah, I, I was I, glad I saw it, though. There's a lot to like in Serena. This is not the disaster that people made it out to be. The fact that it went straight to VOD is not necessarily a bad sign. Although, I mean, do you think there would there was any reason? I mean, it is in theaters now. Like, do you think that putting it on VOD was a bad idea? Like, do you think they should have, like, made a go of this? I mean, I've seen worse movies presented straight-facedly as Oscar bait. Yeah, like Furious 7. No, actually, I can't say Well, that's that going to win Best Picture. <laughs> yes, according to Vin I mean, Diesel. I'm thinking of, like... Uh, Oh God! The Eastwood one, where there's the tidal wave. Uh, Hereafter, after, yeah, that movie is a disaster. Right, and they put that in theaters. Yeah, we we've seen plenty of. I mean, The Judge is worse than Serena, and I like <laughs> I the, judge. the Judge. I'm saying, I, I and I like Serena. I really can't. There's just so much going on. It could have been so interesting, and it's only mildly interesting. It's not a I, bad movie. I can't say that I like it because I I'm too frustrated by. The you know the best case scenario for this. What? Story. You know the best case scenario for this story. Oh, You've for the, read, uh, the book. I read the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's the, I think, I mean, that part of it's frustrating, and I really try not to be the person who's hung up on what the book is, but because, like, even you not having read the book can see kind of the shreds of a story that used to be in there somewhere, like, I think it's really hard for me to let go of that, it, especially because what is actually on the screen feels so disjointed as a result. This, this is a little pointless of a question, but to wrap up here, I'm curious and use book experience here. But yeah. I, I kept thinking about, like, what is this movie about? <laughs> you know, I guess it's about teetering on the edge of this place becoming a sacred park and like all these business people getting wrapped up in their own shit. Um, but what these relationships are about, the movie really communicates none of that to me. And if, if I think it's not unsuccessful in any way, it's it's kind of vindicating its own effort here. I don't really get the movie on that level, but maybe it's just about the drama. I, I mean, the best yeah. melodramas really are. They're just about, like, romance and murder. Well, I mean, it, okay, so can I spoil the book for you right now? Uh, yeah, we are going to spoil the book, so if okay. you are going to read this book based on Katie's recommendation and our, our <laughs> light recommendation of Sarita, you should turn this off or jump to the end because we're about and to spoil please, the book. And please read the book because uh, it's very good. Um, so in the book, uh, Pemberton, the Bradley Cooper character, dies, but Serena doesn't. She kind of helps orchestrate his death and then uh, goes on to live a very successful life. And we kind of meet her like 70 years later living on this farm in brazil because she's gone down there and started her own lumber industry and uh jacob the little baby who is uh you know haunting her the whole movie uh comes and kills her in the night what 
What? What? <laughs> it's crazy. That's awesome. So the so in the book the villain wins like it's she's clearly the villain and it's kind of all about like she doesn't win she gets greed. murdered what she gets murdered no in the book she wins yeah but in the book she gets murdered yeah but like she lives a very successful happy life before mm, then fair um and so it's about you know unchecked greed and capitalism and the ability of you know people's egos to even though the park does get built to kind of succeed in the end. Um, and Pemberton is such a more clear victim and she's a much more clear villain, which I think just, I don't know, like I wanted really to see Jennifer Lawrence go full on like crazy villain and she didn't get to. There are some scenes where she has really crazy eyes, like crying, holding back tears, death stare, just wild eyes, which is pretty great. And yeah, you wish there were more opportunities for that, but I don't really know where this script would allow them to take place. They just don't have many crazy moments together. Her, her relationship with Reese Eifens is so casual. I mean, the man she's basically yeah. hiring to kill well, her husband's he kind lover. Of volunteers. Like he feels such an intense connection to her that he's like, I will do. Right. It's so boring. Everyone's do. like, sure. Like, what? Sure. I'll murder someone for you in the name <laughs> of love. And even like, I, I, I kind of like how casually weird it is because by the end, since we're talking about the book ending, the, the end of this movie is Bradley Cooper getting this panther that he's been hunting the entire yeah. movie, jumps on him and um, bites out his jugular vein or whatever. And yep. then he does he must kill the panther somehow because they're both dead, lying dead on top of each other in the woods when Toby Jones finds them. Um, and then Serena lights herself on fire, <laughs> which yeah. is beautiful. And, then, and, like, and it doesn't, but why, why? Why would you say she kill herself? Right. Well, because she isn't, well... She's not going to get arrested by Toby Jones, it seems, because Toby Jones brought back Bradley Cooper's body to her to see. I have no idea. This movie yeah. doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. So that's that's why I can't totally recommend it. But, you know, it's more interesting than uh, – <laughs> it's probably more interesting than Get Hard, which I refuse to see. Yes. That is that is the reason we didn't uh, <laughs> review Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart's new movie. We're, we're really not up to the task, probably. The, the issues on the table there – are not for us. But Serena, that's it's about our white movie. people. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably something else on theater. See, I haven't seen it follows yet, but maybe that's Oh, you it's a great it. It's I'm great. too scared. Why? Why are you too scared? I mean, you know it is long, a very scary movie. I mean, I've, I've told I've told you like the effort it took for me to watch the Babadook was like superhuman. Yeah, it follows as basically the uh, sex version of Halloween. So if you have sex, then Wait. you will become a victim. Isn't that what Halloween is? No, I think Mike Myers just follows Jamie Lee Curtis to that movie. Or, oh, it's Friday the Thirteenth, where if you have sex, you uh. You get killed. Yes, this one is more like Jason or Mike Myers following you with a knife, except if you hooked up with the one guy who had it. I, I for some reason, rest- I'm trying to restrain myself from calling it like an STD slasher because I've seen many people come after others for being, re- that's a reductive way of reading the film, that they're Yikes. passing along an STD. But that's frankly what it is. <laughs> and there's a lot. transmitted serial killer. Yes, exactly. And there, but it, it works on deep levels here. But, you know, I don't know. All right. Well, see, it follows uh, and tell me all about it because I'm too scared. And.
Hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Get Hard. Uh, what's the best comedy dealing with race or class? Very sensitive um, question. I guess it's just me. Yeah, do um, it. Uh, Scott Mendelson said, in the running, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that's the best movie to deal with race or class, but uh, I really enjoyed what it had to say when I first saw it. And uh, I think we forget that there hadn't, you know, a stoner comedy or um, any modern comedy starring two non-white guys was uh, felt pretty special at the time. I like in this lightning round question where one of our listeners said the obscure object of desire, the Boonwell film. We we still went with Harold and Kumar. <laughs> Go to White Castle. I haven't seen that Boonwell film, so don't shame fuck me. Fuck you, Art. No, fuck you, Art. Go to White Castle. <laughs> um, because none of us said this in our first episode earlier this week, and people are kind of shaming us for not mentioning it, and, and it is obvious. I guess it's the obvious answer here. But uh, at Lemel Pitkin said this. At Aaron Hammond eighty eight said this. At Trivia Ninja said <laughs> this. At Muth Media said this. Uh, pretty much everybody said Blazing Saddles. Um, which is now, obvious, why guys. Why is Blazing Saddles supposed to be like the obvious one over Trading Places? Like Trading Places to me is the number one best answer for this. Well, I think Trading Places, I mean, I watch Trading Places every Christmas and God damn, after watching it this year with my parents, listening to them talk about like Ferguson protests and stuff and being like, what's going on down there? And I mean, I mean like, mom, dad, read the paper. You know? Watch like, Dan Aykroyd in blackface instead. Well, you, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy runs into this Wall Street joint and then um, 8 million cops point guns at his face. And you're like, God, in, you know, re- in the Trading Places, places 2015 right? remake, uh, yeah. Eddie Murphy dies and the movie is over. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pretty intense, at least in the beginning. Uh, but Blazing Saddles, I think people go to Blazing Saddles because... There's a lot of taboo there. You watch that movie and you hear people drop like the N word or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, how did this movie even get made? Um, this raging satire. It's so taboo when watched in today's context. And it was then too. And I think that's what does it for people. It really just hits a hot iron in a way that movies would not today. And like we have not seen Get Hard, um, but outrage culture would not. I mean, would not allow a movie like Blazing Saddles to exist, let alone Trading Places. Uh, who knows if Get Hard is trying something, trying to say something, and using offensive terminology or scenarios to do it. We'll, we'll, we will maybe one day know when we finally get around to seeing Get Hard. We're, we're failures in that like respect. I feel but. like there's a couple of other, uh, you know, I got to see Louis Bunuel's whatever, whatever before you see Get <laughs> yeah. Hard. Louis Bunuel's whatever, whatever. Louis Bunuel's Get Hard. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll get there, but I... I I'm afraid of everyone crying afoul of this movie already um, before it comes out. I mean, we're, you know, the critical community latches onto these things. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing critics because I hate when people do that too. Like, oh, critics are stinking up a storm. They're just trying to make something out of nothing. Um, and it's, that's certainly not the case most of the time. There's usually reasons that people are making the case against movies and Get Hard seems to be in the crosshairs. For maybe a good reason, but like that's why people adore Blazing Saddles and are shocked does, by Blazing Saddles because yeah. it, it dares to use these racist terms and these racist scenarios to kind of jab racism. And that's a hard thing to stomach. And it's certainly something we never see in the movies today. Yeah. 
Um, one last thing. Someone uh, mentioned Louis, which isn't a movie, but I think does deal with, uh, and Louis C.K.'s comedy especially, like, deals with race in kind of a similar way where, like, he's saying things that a lot of other people wouldn't say and being really funny and insightful about it. But so many people are like, whatever, I'm not PC, I'm the man who's saying everything else, everyone else is afraid to. Like, those people are assholes, so. <laughs> although maybe... although a lot of people raise eyebrows over Louis because in the show, Louis's wife is black. And yeah. his kids are white. Yeah. You know, there's no and mixed And he doesn't give there. a shit that it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't matter to him. I find that, I mean, it's not like, an actual conversation about race, but I think it's interesting that he did that and doesn't give a shit about the continuity. It's and such great for all trolling. the people who are upset about Idris Elba being in Thor, like chew on that instead. There aren't those people don't exist still, right? No, they've moved on to wondering why Idris Elba would ever be cast as James Bond because he doesn't look like James Bond. That's well, they're over Thor. Okay, well, fine. Everyone can get mad about whatever. What about his Star Trek villain? Klingons. Klingons. I mean, Worf was black underneath his makeup so you won't hear much complaining there although well, i don't want to see idris elba buried in a klingon makeup so i'm going to start my own uh my own petition <laughs> he'll be a mutant klingon so he can just look exactly the same okay. we are so <laughs> off topic here <laughs> all right we've Moving solved on. race relations on this Comedy's week's about fighting class in the room, and so. race uh, everyone go watch blazing saddles and harold and kumar yes uh that does it for this week's fighting in the war room we will be back next week uh oh my god we get to talk about furious seven i haven't even seen it yet and i'm psyched it is time it will it's, be time it is the time is i have to uh, say up front that i traditionally have not enjoyed the fast and furious movies but again i'm going in open-minded gonna happen i'm ready i'm ready to be entertained didn't i see watch you giggling madly throughout all of fast five yes because my soul was being destroyed (laughs) i was just like is this really happening are people around me really enjoying this i i I lost my mind that night that's when it all went downhill i know it's it's been a terrible road ever since uh anyway matt patches who are you i'm matt patches i'm the senior writer at esquire.com and i'm on twitter at mr patches and I'm Katie Rich. I am the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com. I also, I love The Rock in a proper amount that Mr. Patches cannot. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we will be back with our Thunderpants on next week.